Amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians. This morning we'll be considering chapter 4, verses 9, excuse me, chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. I invite you to turn there now. I mentioned last week that we have entered a portion of Paul's text where he is going over. (laughs) Y'all are going to have to excuse me for a moment. This morning in preparation for my sermon, I always hole punch it. I take the old one out and I put the new one in my binder. You're about to get a repeat of last week's sermon. Because mine is in the office. And so God is good and God has a sense of humor. And so I invite you to just do this. Let's try this. Let's stand. Give a good wave to everybody. Keep your six feet of social distance. And let me panically run back into my office really quick. Thank you so much for your patience. Let us continue our sermon for today, being prepared for the day of the Lord. Um, The truth is that title is not that far off. Um, This week we will continue our ethical issues that uh, Paul has been addressing to the church. You kind of have a series within a series within the book of Thessalonians, this four-part a series on topics that either are sinful issues that the church was facing or issues that needed correction, training, or teaching that needed to happen in order to help the church live in light of Jesus' return. And, and that's what we've been talking about in this book, living in light of Jesus' return. And he's been preparing us for that in many different ways. And today, we will address an issue that will face us all, that we've all seen or felt at some point in our lives, um, and one day we will all feel it personally. Ever since Adam and Eve fell into sin, death entered the world. Paul instructs the church here on this topic, but more than just teaching them about the topic of death, he talks to them, giving them hope in light of what is to come. And what we're going to see this morning is that hope ultimately comes from, finds its object in Jesus Christ. And so I do invite you to turn with me to our text this morning as we hear from Paul 
these words of encouragement and in hope in light of death. This is the word of the Lord. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with a voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and with the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. The grass may wither and the flower may fall, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Let us go to him now and ask his blessing upon it. Dear Heavenly Father, if you do not open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts, we will not receive your word this morning. We ask, O Lord, on this topic, a topic that reaches us all, that you would give us understanding, that you would give us hope. Lord, we know that we live in a world that is very confused about life and about death. And we know that the world has no hope to offer, for it does not know you. And so we pray that not only would you teach us about these things, but as Paul instructs us, help us to be an encouragement to those around us with these very words. We thank you for this time to study your word, and we thank you for your mercy upon us this day. We ask your blessing now for your glory and for your sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Anyone who has lost a friend or family member knows that death often feels out of place. And we recognize that this isn't how things should be. And yet, due to the fall, it's a normal part of our life. But just as Jesus Christ changed every aspect of our lives, Jesus Christ also changed every aspect of our death. This means how we understand death and how we treat death should be markedly different than those from the world. There's no doubt that in the community that the church found itself in, they had their own misunderstandings about death, combined with many pagan practices that weren't helpful and sometimes were more than not helpful that were counterintuitive to life. This is most likely why Paul wrote to the church on this topic. And ultimately, we would say Paul wrote to the church on this topic for one word, hope. Do you, need, do you know someone that needs hope today? Do you know someone who is facing health issues and may be uncertain about their future? Do you know someone that is anxious about the current virus and what it means for their lives and their life moving on? I feel certain that we could all bring to mind someone that would fit in one of these categories. And this would also be the case for the church in Thessalonica. 
For them, persecution had become so intense, I feel certain that some had died because of it. And the threat of dying continued. And so they needed clear instruction, especially for a community that lived in the ever-present reality of Roman rule. Knowing this, Paul gives them and us three ways in which we can have hope in light of death. We're going to consider each of these this morning. First, we must see that it is God, and more particularly, God's word that provides hope in a time of grief. Secondly, Jesus Christ serves as both our model and our promise. And then finally, we will heed the call to love one another during difficult times. And so we see each of these in our text this morning. And as we go through, I pray that you pay attention for, as I mentioned, this is a topic that none of us can escape. It will touch us all. Let's begin by considering how God's word provides hope in a time of grief. We'll see that in verse 13. And up until this point, almost every truth that Paul has given to the church, he starts it with, now I have already told you. Let me say again, let me remind you, brothers. But here he uses different language. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who fall asleep in death. Now, we're not sure why he didn't address this topic before now. Maybe um, this was one of those topics he wanted to get to. But as he was run out of town, he didn't have a chance to bring it up. But he did not want to leave the church without clear instruction on this topic. And Paul uses a word here uh, that's common in the Bible referring to death. He calls it sleep. Jesus himself would use this word sometimes intentionally, sometimes not to the confusion of the disciples. But one of the reasons I think that this is a a beautiful word um, for this reality is it actually speaks to the fact that it's not final just as certain as we are that when we take a nap if god wills it that we will wake so we too should look at the topic of death and expect it not to remain that way we should expect something else to happen we should expect more And if you look through scripture and you see that this is a common word used, that this is repeated again and again, what this also does when you see the word sleep in death or those who have fallen asleep, it draws back to mind all of the biblical teaching on this topic. Paul is very carefully and in just one word saying, listen to God's word. Obey the commands of God. Believe what God has said. And hasn't that been how he's addressed each of these ethical issues? Sexual immorality, brotherly love, here the topic of death, and then next week the return of Christ. Every single one of them you will see, he answers it with trust the word of God. And it, in some ways it really is that simple. Now, that doesn't mean that it makes it any easier. That doesn't mean that it makes it more comfortable But in some ways, it does give us hope. And Paul goes on in his first verse to give us his rationale. So that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no 
hope. If you have gone to a funeral service before of an unbeliever or one of a family of unbelievers, it is a very unique and sad experience because it is over. That is the end. There is nothing else. There's nothing to be joyful about. There's no celebration. There's nothing to look forward to. That is the last chance you get to say anything. And it is a hard service to sit through. It is a hard service to be a part of because you feel the weight of death. If conversely, you've gone to a service of a believer who has passed I'm careful not necessarily to use the word joy, but there's a there's something there. There is hope. There is this isn't the end. This is just a moment. This is a a time stamp. This is a path that we must all walk knowing that there's more path ahead. And it changes things. It changes the mindset. It changes the setting. It changes the attitude of the people present. Now, please, please, please don't hear me this morning saying that we are not called to grieve, that we're not called to be sorrowful, that we're not called to be sad, to to miss them. That's actually part of the healing process. That's biblical in and of itself. And I would not encourage you to put on a smile and pretend that everything's okay when that's not what's going on in your heart. But what I am challenging you to, and what I believe Paul is challenging us to, he says here, don't grieve like mankind because they don't have hope. They have no hope. We, though, are different. If they have no hope, then we have hope. And what's really beautiful, and and I mentioned it just a moment ago, Paul is doing something here. He's saying the source of that hope is the word of God. Paul writes as God's ambassador, and when the church would read this letter, and as we read this letter this morning, we read it on God's authority, from God himself. And I think that this is why Paul uses this term sleep, because he draws us to the biblical teaching on this topic. God's word is our hope. God's promises is our source of hope. God's truths, they are our hope. In fact, it's the only source of hope. Paul will will further this, and we will get into the meat of our passage here, where he ties this, anchors this, grounds this in one place. God's word brings us hope. God's word brings us hope because of Christ. Look with me at this middle section as we see how Christ is both our model for hope and our promise of hope. We see this in 14 to 17. I believe I've done this before before you. One of my favorite things to do is to go to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. I love dictionary definitions. I love finding out what a word means. I love airplanes and the noise of them. They just absolutely fascinate me, to, to give a total aside. The fact that man can, can do what man does, isn't that another of God's mercies? What we can accomplish. I mean, talking from someone who 13 months ago couldn't stand and walk 
uh, to the fact that I've been doing two-mile jogs this week is just absolutely fascinating to me how good God is. And he's that way across the board, but he particularly is when we're talking about a topic of life and of death because he's provided for us something greater than anything man can produce. He's provided something more than anything else. He's provided hope. And back to my point, if you look in the dictionary and you look up the definition of hope, you come to these words. Desire accompanied by expectation or belief in fulfillment. There's a desire, but it's also paired with expectation or belief that it will be fulfilled. And Paul's expressed desire. You have hope. Live in hope. Die in hope. But where is the expectation of fulfillment? It's in Christ. Everything that Paul will say from this point forward, everything that Paul puts into this issue, he puts right here. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. This really is the foundation for the Christian view of eternity. As Paul tells the Corinthian church, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Conversely, if Christ has been raised, there is a resurrection, then we too will be raised and we will have hope. Paul confirms this in our passage. We believe God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And at the end of the day, it really does come down to Do you trust the promises of God? Do you receive his word? Do you listen to his commands? Is he lying or is he telling the truth? He told us Jesus was going to rise and he rose. He told us that Jesus would come with the ability and the power to forgive sinners and he did. He tells us that we will live with him and we will. Do you believe that today, brothers and sisters? And now Paul will take some time to to unpack this and really flesh it out. So let's walk through his understanding. But note, it really is right here. This really is where our hope lies. According to the Lord's word, we tell you those who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. There seems to have been a debate going on in the church about whether it's better to be alive or be dead when Jesus comes back. And so Paul addresses this here. And and also it's worth noting, and, and some people really have misunderstood this passage and used it incorrectly. Paul was not saying that his congregation was going to be alive upon Jesus' return. He was not saying that he would be alive upon Jesus' return. That's not what Paul is trying to do here. What he is trying to do is he's trying to help us understand whether you are alive or whether you have already gone to sleep. There's no better state to be in. One is not greater than the other. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord 
forever. This is a glimpse of the final day. This is a glimpse of what happens when Christ comes back. It says the dead will be called up first. But really, they just get a head start from here to the clouds. That's how far ahead of us they get. We will be called up and we will meet them at that point. We will all hear the shout. We will all hear the trumpet. The dead will give up. The tombs will give up their dead. And we will all meet together in the air. This is what we have to look forward to, brothers and sisters. This is our hope. This is expanded upon in the book of Revelation. And you can really go there to see how this will play out and and what a joyous day that will be for God's people. Now, doesn't that bring comfort to us in the face of death? Doesn't that give us that marked hope that we say is different than the world? For on that day, we will be redeemed. But what will this world find? Judgment. Judgment for rejecting God and rejecting God's word. And so whether we live, we live in Christ. Whether we sleep, we sleep in Christ. We await his return with joy. I don't know about you, but that helps comfort me, knowing that one day I will face this truth, that death will come to my life. When God wills it. And when I go to the ground, I will be with him. And I want to take just a moment to to bring up another theological topic um, that there's been misunderstanding on. I don't believe that when we die, we go into some form of hyper sleep, um, as some have come to call soul sleep um, or Um, psychopanikia. Um, This is the title of Calvin. Calvin wrote a book against this. And some people believe that when we go into the ground, we just wait there. And we may not know that it's been a thousand years, 10,000 years, three days, but it's been that amount of time. And sadly, I, I think this does a disservice to us. And this actually causes some of that fear and anxiety. If you go to Jesus on the cross, when he looks to the thief, the dying thief, And he says, today you will be with me in paradise. I don't think we should take those words lightly. And it leads us to a theological position that says our bodies go into the ground, but our souls are joined immediately with God. And they wait Christ's return into which they are reunited. So they're rejoined till they're made new again. But even as we sleep in the ground, it's not asleep as if we're apart from God. As soon as our eyes close, as soon as our body falls, we're in God's presence. You never leave God's presence. You're in Christ in this life. You're in him in that time of sleep. And then you're in him in his return. As he makes body and soul anew. And so I offer that to you as another encouragement. As another form of this hope. It's another form of God's promises coming from Christ himself. And we find ourselves back where we started. Do you believe that? Do you rest in that? Do you hope in that? Is that what you hold on to today? For if you do, you will have hope. But Paul is not through with his thought. It is ultimately a victory for believers. It is something we are to look forward to with great joy. But there is one more source of hope. And it doesn't come so much from God as it comes from each other. 
our final form of hope comes from each other. Look with me at verse 18 as we see that we are called to give one another hope during time of death. Paul concludes his argument here with a word that is common to Paul, therefore. Anytime you see it, you know that he's going to give his concluding thoughts in light of everything I've said. Therefore, do this, believe this, act in this way, or stay away from this. So, what does he say here? Therefore, what is his conclusion? Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Again, it is important to note, ultimately, that encouragement comes from God. I know a lot of us on the topic of death and dying, we become uncomfortable because we don't know what to say. How do we help them? How do we give them something that they can really cling on to? And the answer is right here. The word of God. The word of God is hope in life and in death. Encourage one another with these words. God's words. The promises of God. And it's important to note that Paul does not leave us out of this path. He doesn't leave us out of this plan. It's not just, I will encourage you being God. It's not just, I will care for you being God, but I will provide people around you to do the same. And that's the church. That's who we are. That's what we're called to be. We're called to love one another. And Paul is doing this so beautifully. Note that he never takes it on himself. You encourage one another. You uplift one another. You care for one another. Not Paul, the apostle, but the church. He's empowering them and enabling them to carry out this work. All of the churches to carry out this work of loving their people. The church needed clear instruction on death and on the return of Christ. And now that Paul has given this, he's calling them to help one another. Because Paul knew something else. When we suffer together, we demonstrate brotherly love. And wasn't that the previous section? Wasn't that what Paul called us to last week in our passage? Love one another as a family care for one another, endure hardship together. That's what he's calling us to here, and that's what he is demonstrating. And to see a model of this, to see this played out, we could go to Jesus Christ himself on his final night with the disciples before he was to be betrayed. He gives us some words in John 14, 1. I like what a fellow pastor said about this. Jesus gives direct words of encouragement. 14.1, he is speaking to his disciples while his disciples are filled with anxiety. They're filled with worry. In fact, they're filled with foreboding. They know something's wrong, and they know something's up, and they know something is about to happen, and it's going to be bad. And what does Jesus say to them in John 14.1? Let not your hearts be troubled. Have hope. Have hope, my dear brothers. But what is he grounded in? The very next sentence. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. 
believe also in me. Jesus anchors hope for the disciples, knowing that he would soon face death in himself, in God, in the words that he's given them, in the promises that he's made. That's where he offers hope to his closest group of friends who would see one of the worst deaths ever to be seen in human history and to live through that. His hope for them is in himself. You know, many people in today's time, they have these sayings. They are worried about this phrase that we often call theology. They think it's bad. And you'll hear people say, no creed but Christ. Maybe this is a phrase you've heard before, where all you can do is read the Bible. Well, I find that a fascinating phrase because theology is the study of God. And then when you read the Bible, when you read this passage, what do you do with it? That's theology. So I, I really appreciate what they're saying. And, and they're, they're trying to protect against a misinterpretation of Scripture. And I always want to take that as a premium in our lives. But do you know what we see here? What is the answer to life and to death? It's God's word. It's theology. It's rightly understanding God's word. That is our hope. And really what we're saying is our hope is Jesus Christ rightly taking the word of God and applying it to our lives and the lives of others because of Jesus Christ is what we're called to do, especially on a topic as serious as death. Death can be a very frightening aspect of life, but I pray that you heed the words of Paul here. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind, those that have no hope. Because you should have hope. Because if you're resting in Jesus Christ and you trust in God's word, you know that he was raised from the dead, that he ascended to God's right hand, and that he's there preparing a place for us, interceding in prayer on us daily. Until God finally says, go get him. And when he does, it will be so. And it will happen like lightning and a twinkling of an eye. When that happens, whether you are asleep or whether you are alive, you will meet him in the air. And that will be a glorious day. But until then, we are called to encourage one another with these words. To laugh with those who laugh. To weep with those who weep. To grieve with those who grieve. And to offer hope to one another. One of the greatest gifts God has given us apart from himself is each other. And if you hear nothing else this morning, I'll please hear that today. The greatest gift God has given us is himself. I do believe the second greatest gift is the church. For we live and we die together, as he has called us to do. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I admit that this often is a very difficult topic. Because we do recognize that death is strange. It's out of place. It, it feels like something is wrong and we recognize lord that it is wrong that it's because of sin and we long for you to make things new we long for you to right this wrong help us to trust in you lord may we live in you may we die in you 
May we comfort one another. May we cling to your word and your promises. For you promise us to never leave us nor forsake us in life and in death. And until you come back, equip us for the work that you call us to. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.